Listener beware. Some of you may think that what Gerald and I are going to do in this episode is crazy. You may think that our actions are backwards and antisocial. And others might cheer us on. I was kind of excited, but Gerald, well, his feelings can be summarized with this sound. <laughs> Gerald and I are going to give up digital streaming and social media for three weeks. I really don't want to do this. <laughs> so why are we doing this? These platforms are pretty important to us. Social networks like Facebook are how Gerald and I manage our social circles. It's where we interact with our friends using digital expressions like comments and likes. It's also how we stay informed, not just to see what Elizabeth is up to, but also what POTUS is up to. Digital streaming sites like YouTube and Netflix are how we consume media and relax. In my four years of college, I didn't even have a TV. I did have a TV, however, but it was more for the occasional weekend gathering where a couple of friends and I would play Super Smash Brothers, and I definitely did not have cable. For the most part, we used our phones and computers to stay informed and entertained. Now, these platforms are undeniably awesome, but not all aspects of it are good for us. In this episode, we're quitting these platforms for three weeks to help us learn more about our relationship with the digital world and to see if this relationship is on our terms. Quick side note, we talk about Facebook in this episode, which we recorded in 2017, before Facebook announced any changes to their newsfeed. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, I'm Alan. And I'm Gerald. And you're listening to Brain and Butter, a podcast about self-improvement against all the odds. Okay, so here are the rules for our experiment. One, remove social media and digital streaming apps from our phones. So these are apps like Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, Netflix, etc. And we're not allowed to go on these sites from our phone browsers. Two, we have to block social media and digital streaming sites on our computers like the ones mentioned earlier. Three, go about business as usual, or at least try to. The first thing that we noticed about quitting was that other people were quick to notice. Yeah, wow, Yen was really quick. It's not even just Yen. So this is probably 10, 15 seconds after I've posted a status on Facebook that I will be off Facebook for personal reasons. And I've already had, because I haven't, we haven't started getting rid of the apps and applications on our computers and phones yet. But I've already gotten responses on Messenger from friends and on the status from friends. I decided against posting a status. It just kind of felt like a millennial cliche. Okay, right now, we're adding websites to uh, this Chrome extension on our um, computers that will block access to these websites. So you have Facebook? Facebook.com. Reddit. Reddit.com. Uh-huh. Okay. Netflix. Netflix.com. We continue to add websites without much comment until we hit on the one that Gerald and I probably visit the most. Okay, so uh, YouTube, that's the big one. You got to block YouTube. That is, honestly, it's the big one. I'm so sad. I'm so sad right now. Uh, I did it. Pressing enter. Then all we had to do was to set a password that keeps us from unblocking these sites. I used a random password generator, which created a password that I had no way of remembering, wrote it down, got rid of any other evidence of it, and then gave it to my dad. Gerald asked his girlfriend to set his password for him. 
Katie, can you come over here? Yeah. So basically, in order for me to not use this to be extra sure, you can set a password if you want to like. You can get rid of the websites if you want. We can also set it so there's a password. Yeah, so I'm asking you to set the password. You don't trust yourself? Do you think you have no self-control? Just type a password in. Just after a couple of days, Gerald and I already noticed something that was kind of weird. So I'm just like, I'm pressing on where the app used to be, just out of habit. And I just catch myself, like, I don't decide, hey, I want to go on Facebook. I'm just on my phone doing something else, and I'm like, hey, let me get on Facebook, just subconsciously. Yeah, so I've actually noticed that happening to me too. So whenever I pick up my phone, the action steps of going to Facebook or YouTube or Reddit will play out in my head. Do you know what a phantom limb is? So people that have had their arm or another limb amputated describe being able to feel the arm even though it's not there anymore. Whenever I look at my phone, I can feel the actions play out in my mind without me actually doing it. Oh, it's muscle memory, dude. It's muscle memory. We both noticed how often we would try to open up YouTube or Facebook on our phones without thinking about it. And this habit didn't just happen on our phones. We also noticed that our fingers will automatically start typing the URL for one of those sites when we're on our computers. Apparently, this app habit is pretty common. Other people who have quit social media have also noticed themselves doing this. The average user spends 50 minutes on Facebook and 17 minutes on YouTube each day, at least according to one of the sources that I found. Over the course of a year, that means the average user spends 12 days and 16 hours on Facebook and 4 days and 7 hours on YouTube. This made me wonder, how many minutes, hours, or maybe even days were Gerald and I giving away to these platforms accidentally, just because our thumbs and fingers have a mind of their own when we see a screen? These habits are heavily ingrained in us, and when we tried to break these habits, the effects were kind of uncomfortable. I googled withdrawal symptoms, and some of the symptoms are anxiety, restlessness, irritability, insomnia, uh, headaches, poor concentration, depression, and social isolation. And I kind of feel that I have a lot of those right now. It's hard to say that this is because of being away from social media, but the fact is the past three days, I've technically had a great days, but I just felt really crummy. After 10 days, we were starting to get used to life without digital and social media. I feel like this week is a, a much different story than last week. Yeah, my week has been, in terms of social media and digital streaming, I think that uh, the habit that I have of going to my phone to go to Facebook or Reddit, uh, that muscle memory isn't there anymore. After about a week. I was happy that I wasn't reflexively reaching for my phone and trying to get on an app anymore. It felt like the lulls in my days belonged to me again. And while I was reclaiming time, Gerald was reclaiming life. Yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed this past week, every time I come back home, my phone's always on like 60% or 70% battery, whereas before it used to like be totally dead. Battery life, that is. I don't know how much time I spend on social media on my phone, but I know at least it is like 60% battery. <laughs> I can I can say it in terms of uh, units of battery percentage, not actual life or time. So one thing that we didn't expect to happen was that getting rid of social media helped us become more connected. I'm curious, have you been have you been messaging people more? 
I did notice that I was messaging my friends more. I realized for people I don't talk to as much, I talk to them more because, you know, I, I might see them more on Facebook versus in real life. But now that I don't see them on Facebook, I still want to keep connected with them. So I still like message or I've texted a lot of people. The fact that now we don't have Facebook to tell us how people's lives are like, we have to literally ask people like how they're doing or we have to tell people. And I've noticed it's really nice. Although we enjoyed many aspects of the ban, unfortunately, it wasn't all good news. The loss of digital streaming was a real downer, especially for me, because I caught the flu. Previously, when, when I was sick beforehand, what I would do is like stream something on Netflix. Yeah. And or, you do or YouTube. I watch TV. I wished that I was able to be on uh, YouTube or Netflix because I was sick and tired of watching commercials on television. Yeah, and so when I watch TV, suddenly there's like two to three minute stretches where all I'm watching are ads. I know it's a very first world problem, but being forced to watch commercials and not having the ability to choose what I watched did make the flu experience even less pleasant than usual. I, however, turned to my large collection of movies and TV shows that were already on my hard drive. So, unlike Alan, I did have a choice of what I wanted to watch, but I didn't get to watch new content. And during this period, Alan and I both consumed media, but we recognized this was not nearly as satisfying as being able to watch whatever, whenever we wanted on YouTube or Netflix. We're both very privileged, and it was very hard to step back. After 16 days in, we were starting to appreciate all of the things that we were not exposed to anymore, like how emotive the internet can be sometimes. Here's Gerald remembering the quality of discourse in the comment section of a YouTube video. I saw a very conservative YouTube channel. It was refreshing to see like a this viewpoint. But then in the comments it's just like like conservatives and liberals just going like ah, ah, ah. just Facebook's the same way, dude. Being off Facebook, I'm glad I don't see that. People are really really angry at each other on Facebook. That's one thing that I'm glad that I'm encountering less of. On Facebook, everything, all the posts seem like there's an urgency to it. Like people will post things and they're, you know, usually the way that they're titled is in a way to elicit an emotional reaction. So why is so much of the stuff we see on the internet so emotionally charged? Well, Gerald, luckily, I think I know part of the reason why. So there's a Wharton study that showed content that elicits an emotion is more likely to get shares than one that doesn't. And certain emotions are more effective at getting shares than others. So awe and anger are the most effective at getting shares, and sadness is the least effective. That explains why there's so much political stuff on my Facebook feed. Yeah, exactly. And because of this little quirk, you're more likely to encounter some types of emotional content than others. And that emotional asymmetry can actually have an effect on your emotional state. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And we know this because of an experiment that Facebook did where they tweaked the news feeds of some of their users. Okay, how did they, um, how did they tweak the news feeds? So users were shown either more positive or negative emotional content. And users that were shown more negative emotional posts would make more negative posts, and users shown more positive emotional posts would make more positive posts. Okay, so that's like in, um, that's just like in real life, if you're hanging out with more positive people, you're more likely to be more positive. So we know that in real life, how others are feeling around you can impact how you feel. This study wanted to see if that could happen online, and it turns out that it can. 
So the internet and social media in particular don't just affect how you feel, they can also affect your views primarily by reinforcing them. These platforms spend millions of dollars in creating algorithms to try and predict what links we're most likely to click on, which happens to be content that confirms our views. This creates an effect known as the filter bubble. However, algorithms aren't the only culprit involved in the creation of the filter bubble. We the users are also involved in this effect by befriending and following people with similar views and unfollowing and unfriending people that post stuff we don't like to see. And I recently learned that Alan is more involved in creating his own filter bubble than others. People purposefully try to make their own social bubbles. You know those people who say like, oh, if you post, if you post super conservative stuff, I'm going to remove you, basically. Nobody actually says that exactly, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. I have intentionally unfollowed people whose posts I didn't want to see, but I don't believe I've ever unfollowed someone for making a political post. I've never done that. That's like something I've never actually done. Why do you remove stuff that you don't want to see? Like what type of stuff? I'll just unfollow things that... I think are annoying. Things that are really clickbaity, people that post a lot of clickbaity stuff or people that post too much, I'll unfollow them. That's interesting. To me, that feels like you don't accept Facebook in a way. Because <laughs> I almost treat it as like, whatever I see is just like what I see, right? I mean, obviously I have control over it, but I feel like it's not my place to like unfollow stuff. But Gerald, that's the entire point of Facebook, I, I think. Facebook's algorithm, that's one of their goals, is to make it so that you see what you want to see. They look at how you interact with the posts that you encounter, and then based on how you interact with it, they decide what posts to show you. I don't know, dude. i just never done it. I'm surprised you get rid of things. So in terms of a time investment, you take a little bit more time to click the necessary links, and then bam, you suddenly no longer ever encounter uh, the kind of posts that you don't want to see. So I think it's worthwhile if you don't want to see something. You make your own filter bubble, dude. Gerald was right. I was unwittingly creating my own filter bubble. And I have since started to follow people and news sources with viewpoints that are different from mine. And I think it's helped me gain some perspective. That being said, it was nice to get away from all the noise that was on Facebook. It's officially been past three weeks now. We were finally allowed back on digital and social media again, but now things have changed and we've changed. Dude, when I got back on YouTube, there was like a thousand videos I haven't watched, right? And I just scrolled through, I just scrolled through my subscription list because it'd be like hour by hour, like how many videos were uploaded. And I realized like all these videos are so flashy. I instantly noticed the clickbait. I instantly noticed like what is grabbing my attention. What'd you notice? Did you notice anything on Facebook or YouTube? It feels a lot more jarring to me. You know, the stuff that people share that are designed to get shares feels very like in your face and really loud. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, especially not using it for so long. I feel that I'm still in the habit of not getting on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Like my phone's still at 70% battery right now because I'm just not on it. I decided to keep the websites blocked on my computer. The phone habit for me went away relatively quickly, but automatically typing Facebook or YouTube, I think stayed on for like two weeks. Now that it's went away, I'm glad that it's not a habit for me anymore. And I think that it's helped me become more productive. 
I told Gerald that losing the app habit was the most beneficial part of the band for me, and I asked him how he thought we developed it. It's so easy. I mean, the habit of us going to YouTube and Facebook is because, hey, there's always new stuff on these websites, so why don't we go check out? But it's so easy if you're bored just to go, you know, Facebook.com, bam. Instant huge websites full of new stuff from all these people you know and don't know, and YouTube, all these subscriptions you have and their new videos. I wanted to know more about how the app habit came to be. So I did what all modern inquisitors do. I started Googling. The app habit is actually something developers design into their applications and platforms. They try to increase usage with behavioral reinforcement. So one way to reinforce a behavior is to reward it every time it occurs. And this works pretty well. But what works even better is when you reward a behavior randomly. This is called an unpredictable reward schedule, and it's extremely effective at creating habits. Okay, so a good example of something that uses an unpredictable reward schedule is a slot machine. So say there's someone playing slots and they get a payout after they pull the lever 60 times. And then they play some more and get another payout after 79 pulls, then after 9 pulls, then after 100 pulls, so on and so forth. And what this does is it puts people in a zone where they end up on a slot machine for hours. Slot machines also happen to be Nevada Casino's most popular games, and they count for around 60% of their gaming revenue. For us on our smartphones and computers, tapping an app or typing a web address is like pulling the lever. Most of the time, you don't really get anything out of it, but occasionally you'll get a payout in the form of a funny meme that you see, a bunch of likes and a photo that you post, or maybe even an interesting podcast that you run into. And even if you're able to forget about those apps and platforms for a little while, you're reminded to pull the lever again, with a beep. In the beginning, Gerald and I wanted to find out if our relationship with digital and social media were on our terms. And the band helped us figure out the answer to that question. And the answer is no, it wasn't. We've taken advantage of the benefits of these platforms and applications like connectivity to our friends and the ability to control our media consumption, while passively accepting other things that we personally didn't like, such as withdrawal, the app habit, digital emotional contagions, and filter bubbles. After all, Alan and I grew up and witnessed the evolution and development of these products and of the online digital age. For us, this has been the norm for a really long time. By changing things up and looking at how our lives improved and in some cases got worse, we were able to determine what we did and didn't like about digital and social media and make changes so that our use was more on our terms. For me, that meant reducing access by continuing the ban and only allowing myself to access those apps and websites through a tablet. That will help keep me removed from emotional contagions online, as well as prevent me from redeveloping the app habit on my phone and computer. As for the filter bubble, all I can really do is be aware of it and have a more varied media diet. For me, it's meant being more cognizant of frivolously getting on my phone whenever I wanted to and just to enjoy the ambiance of whatever I was doing. This includes walking to and back from places, as well as waiting for my coffee at the coffee shop. Whether or not I have the determination and discipline to maintain this new habit is yet to be determined. While neither Alan or I are here to argue that these tools don't serve a great purpose in our lives, it's nice to realize we have the power to stay off of the digital realm and have some peace and quiet to ourselves every so often. Instead of watching a video or scrolling through political posts every time you're bored for 10 seconds. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, please recommend this podcast to a friend, rate us on iTunes, and if you can, support us on patreon.com forward slash brain and butter. You can keep up with us by visiting our website, brainandbutter.org, 
our Facebook page, or on Twitter, where our handle is BrainButterPod. A special thanks to our parents for everything, Jennifer Martinez for the artwork, and Davey Cano for the intro music. The music in this episode is by Pusmus, Chris Zabriski, Rafael Archangel, Andre Desartistes, Lee Rosavire, and Anonymous420.